1: Yeah, done <laughs> with
0: my Oreo. Okay, good. Do we really know you what know happened? He the brother did. The brother? That's what I thought too! Yeah. I mean, that He's seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk other. about death?
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, it's a mystery. Ready, 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 ready.
1: Here we go, ready. Here we go.
0: Welcome to Mystery Murdery. Mystery thingy. Murdery cast where we talk about murdering. Uh,
1: uh. Mystery murdery thingy. <laughs> that's it. That's the new. That's the new theme song.
0: That's the new hip jive on the street, y'all. Am I cool now? Hip uh, jive? Is that, is, that, is that what someone says is cool? Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Were you is... invited to the cookout? Yes. <laughs> Mario. No. Do I get to go if I have a black girlfriend?
1: I don't know. That's not up to me. <laughs> is that a
0: question that I can put on Reddit? I feel
1: like if any, I feel like if anybody <laughs> is, that is that a gonna good be, Ask Reddit question? I feel like if anybody's going to be in charge of the Black People Cookout, it'd be like Idris Elba or something. Okay, <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll just tweet. Why it Why don't you ask him? Yeah, I'll I'll inquire of Idris. <laughs> the like, it'll be cool. The like
1: metaphorical cookout, right? Um, anywho, welcome uh, to uh, Mystery Murdery Thingy. My name is Chloe.
0: My name is Mario. I like kind of hesitated, like I didn't know my
1: name. <laughs> yeah,
0: what's My name? Oh yeah, that's right. Um. So yeah, here we are in the uh, podcasting tent, uh, fort, uh, thingy that we're trying out here. So, uh, yeah. Hey, what's up? And uh, yeah, uh, let's uh, get into it. So, who's gonna go first this week? Um, who will it be?
1: Not gonna lie, I'm super excited about mine. Yeah, go I you go
0: explain. first. Yeah, you've been you've been talking about how excited you are for like three days, so you should probably go first. <laughs> All right. So,
1: <clears throat> also, I didn't look up any how to say any of these names. That's okay. So waiting. We're just gonna have to go with it. Um, to the one of the most populated countries in the world, India. <laughs> uh-huh. I apologize. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat> so I've got a big old bribery scandal oh. turned into people ending up dead. Oh shit! Type of story. Okay. So, and I know you're doing an assassination. Right. This isn't like assassination, but it is like high-ranking people, like, and their family members showing up dead. Oh. Um. So, like I said, it started off as an unusually large bribery scandal until people start showing up. Then, so the Via Pam scam is based on entrance examinations. So, India has this whole um, uh, system where to get a good job, you got to pass a test.
0: Sure, they have this in different countries.
1: Right. Um, so it's admissions and recruitment, this scam that was unearthed in India in the India's state of Madhya Pradesh in 2013. So Pam is actually the first few letters of three words uh Vyavasaik Pariksha Mandal. and that's the name of the um the company. So Vaya Pariksha Mandal, via Pam, So officials at the testing agency what basically what they're doing they're charging huge sums of money to guarantee that candidates got either a government job or admission to a state medical college by fixing the results of the exams mm. So
0: it sounds like something that's going on in our country right now.
1: I mean, well,
0: <laughs> a little bit. What's her <laughs> face?
1: She pleaded guilty to today.
0: And like 15 others. Yeah. Ugh, that
1: shit is so nuts. I know. Um, Lori Money, money, money.
0: Money, 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 money.
1: Corrupts money. people. Um, so these exams, they're super competitive. Mm-hmm. The likelihood of getting even a low ranking job is rare. Like these numbers, like very rare. I've, I've got numbers here. So in twenty thirteen, the prestigious Pre medical test (PMT), which determines admission to medical school, had medical school medical school had forty thousand eighty six applicants competing for just one thousand six hundred and fifty nine seats. What? It's, it's yeah. Oh my, God. it's rough. Four hundred fifty thousand young men and women took the exam to become one of the seven thousand two hundred seventy six police constables recruited that year, and the police constables don't make a lot. It's a low ranking and a low paying job. I think they only make like maybe a hundred bucks a month or something like that. Um, another two hundred and seventy thousand appeared for the recruitment exam to fill only a little more than two thousand positions at the lowest rank in the state forest service so I don't know. I feel like competitive can definitely be an understatement sure so here's a quote from um the Guardian article where I got my, um, my main my main source, um, quote: standardized testing in India is a heroic and misguided attempt to compensate. Over three short hours for a young lifetime's worth of inequities of caste, class, gender, language, region, and religion, and the crushing inadequacy of the state-run schooling system. It is the only consideration for achieving college admissions or government uh, employment. Nothing nothing else matters. Not your grades over 12 years of school, nor any hobbies, interests, or transformative life experiences, end quote. Wow. I know. I couldn't say it any better. I had to quote that. Yeah. It's it's just a whole system. So there is a high demand for these after school classes. About 25% of all students in India are enrolled in tuition centers, which is an industry worth over 388 million, which i think was like 27 billion Indian rupees, which 388 million dollars. Um and it depends like what where you live like in some areas like 90% of the people are, like, enrolled in these tuition centers mm-hmm. to, like, eventually take these tests and get a job. Right. So, you know, like, in America, we have, you know, star athletes and stuff plastered over billboards. Um, in certain places in India, like Madhya Pradesh, star students with high-ranking scores are plastered all over billboards, um, along highways, outside schools and colleges.
0: I actually heard about this from one of my professors in college. Really? Uh, who's if, uh, who's Indian and uh, is apparently a bit of a minor celebrity there as an academic, right? Like as as a historian, uh, he's like known in certain parts. It's of crazy. India. Yeah, it is. So yeah, I've I've definitely heard of that uh, being a thing.
1: Yeah, um, some students even travel across the country to these tuition centers to be taught by these celebrity, you know, mm-hmm. students, these teachers. So the centers have weekly... So this is how they kind of get their names. They have weekly exams, and then they put the results on a bulletin board, which, ma- which makes it easy for people to see like who the really smart ones are mm-hmm. that can be re- possibly recruited and paid to take tests in the name of someone else.
0: Oh, okay. And then
1: they can see who the weaker students that may require these really super illegal <laughs> services.
0: Of course.
1: So... It's been going on since like I want to say like 2009 ish, but it all started to unravel in 2013 on the morning of one of the medical exams. So police went to Hotel Pathik um, in Madhya Pradesh, uh, in the in the Madhya Pradesh's largest city, Indore, to question students. They questioned a young man who claimed to be exam candidate Rishi Kesh tiagi uh police asked they were like okay so what's your father's name um and, and date of birth he was like oh i can't uh ooh, uh i don't remember <laughs>
0: well i could tell you how to do trigonometry I, extremely well but uh, my father's name mm, not sure i can
1: tell you um uh <laughs> so many things but not that
0: all the bones in the body but yeah not that
1: <laughs> he later revealed that his he later revealed his name and mm. said that he came to take the exam in the name of Rishikesh Tiagi. Sure. He was paid fifty thousand rupees to do it, which is around seven hundred and twenty dollars. Yeah, so, like, bad. if you're poor and you're smart, yeah, it's like, yeah. the way to go, of course. right?
0: I mean, so, how can you blame you? Cannot for blame real. These kids and it's doing it's that. part
1: of the why. It Nor became can so, you
0: really blame the other kids for paying them to. I right? Mean, they're all kind of a product of the Kafka system. That's right? why I
1: wanted to like emphasize how. It's all very, very corrupt. It's all... It's this huge catch-22, you know? Right. Um, 20 other imposters were arrested that morning. So police were then let... So they start interviewing people, start digging to the bottom of this. They were led to a man named Jagdish Sagar. So he is a doctor who set up one of many he's just one successful businesses that charge up to 200,000 rupees about $2900 to get an intelligent but financially needy student to take exams on behalf of applicants who felt that they couldn't pass the test themselves so this guy got rich okay yeah. he had fortunes in land luxury cars jewelry wow. apparently he slept with a mattress stuffed with 1.3 million rupees just to <laughs> just to flex <laughs> just to right. flex just uh, cuz he could just cuz there's tons, there's tons of these businessmen. Um, Jagdish Sagar was just one of the most prominent. Mm-hmm. Now, there, this is um, a very deep-seated in the industry scam. And there's lots of – I'm going to be doing a lot of name dropping. So let's talk about a man named Nitin Mohindra. So he was a higher up in the education system who helped make a lot of this happen. So he was one of, definitely one of the corrupt officials who was it on the inside and, t- and started tampering with stuff. So he joined VIA PAM in 1986 as a data entry operator. And so he soon became – he was promoted and became the principal systems analyst. So he was kind of like a quiet dude, and he like didn't draw much attention to himself. And the most attention that he really got was when – He like showed up in a brand new car um, and he started wearing these super nice clothes. So in 2009, police claim Sagar and Mohindra, the the, the businessman doctor and the analyst, had a meeting where Sagar made an unusual proposition. He was like, "Okay, I I'm going to give you the application forms of groups of test takers and Mohindra is going to go in and alter their role numbers to ensure that they were seated together so they could cheat from each other. Hmm. So he so here's this higher up who like looks over the exams. So um, one of the businessmen, Sagar, was like, here's the people who are paying yeah. me. I need you to sit them together. I need you to sit them in the back, away from the proctors. Mm-hmm. So according to Mohindra's statement to police, Sagar offered to pay him 25,000 rupees, about $360, for each roll number that he changed. Wow. Um, so this is called the engine bogey system. A bright college student, the engine, would take the exam on behalf of a paying customer. So police claim that from 2009 to 2013, Mohindra tampered with at least 737 students taking the state medical exam. And then the scam got even more complicated in 2011 when Pankaj Trivedi, a lecturer at a government college in Indore, so he was appointed as the controller of exams at VIAPAM. And he became responsible for ensuring the security of the testing process. But uh, he's in jail now. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He started getting a lot of pressure from – so it kind of started when he started getting a lot of pressure from influential people in the government to provide jobs. So people started coming to him as like, hey, like, my son really needs a job here. And, like, you know, I'm this bureaucrat. You better help me out. Mm -hmm. Help me get jobs for my friends, my relatives. So here he is. He's just got appointed. He's new to the job. So he goes to Mohindra, who comes up with a plan. He's like, okay – students who had paid to have their results fixed were told to attempt only those questions for which they knew the answers and then leave the rest blank so at this point mohindra got a hold of the computers and he got all the administrator privileges so he could tamper with the results all he had to do was start changing answers what yeah so they so they knew uh. they like knew based on like um the list of names that they had of people who paid and also people who Maybe only answered half the questions, uh-huh. left a lot of them blank. So then Mahindra would talk to the exam observers and be like, hey, like under the, I think it was like the Freedom of Information Act, I need the, the student requested the, all the answers. I'm going to need that. Um, uh, and then he—that's when he would fill out the originals so, mm-hmm. so that they matched the altered versions saved on the computer. Oh wow! So one example of this plan in action was found when one student didn't follow the directions. She filled out every answer, many of them incorrect. But investigators found that the officials just used correction fluid to white out the <laughs> wrong answers and then pencil in the correct ones.
0: That's okay, honey. We'll take
1: care. We'll take. T- we got this. It's we fine. got this. It's just, oh, it's crazy.
0: You just need to pay us a little bit. Yeah, more. just
1: a little tip. Little right, just right. Tip right. off the top. The whiteout tip. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so this is when things get interesting. So police found a spreadsheet in or on the oh, Mohendra's hard drive. That had all the names oh, of Why hundreds do of students, always do this? and it's, it's like classic, like evil,
0: right? movie um, trope. Let me just tell trope. you my plan before, before I, I, kill I kill you. you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so they find it's... all the names who had paid people who had paid to cheat, along with the names of the minister, bureaucrat, or fixer who had referred the student, Shit. right? Um, so the list had a ton of big political names, such as. Uma Bharati, a former chief minister, who's a long-time rival of the current of the current minister Shivraj Singh Chuhan. Remember that name, because he's like the the minister uh-huh. of this of this town, and he's in on this. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they actually started calling him. If I get this right, Shivra Shivraj is off the the like god she like shiva or shiv
0: shiva yeah that's one of the hindu gods
1: and then they started calling him um hold on let me find this really fast okay so like the people who are who are like out there protesting Uh um so he's named after the hindu god shiva they started calling him Shavraj or King of the Corpses. People oh. start showing up dead. I thought it was interesting. So they get this list, and it seems like things are going to clear up pretty quick. They have all these names, cool, right. until the opposition Congress party shows up and they're like, And they've been calling for Chuhan's resignation this whole time. They claim that the police task force looking into this tampered with the list and removed the name of the chief minister Hmm. only to replace those names with the names of his rivals. God. So now.
0: Corruption on corruption. So now we have a
1: now we have a she said he said. Oh, God. Yeah. So let's talk about the deaths. As this investigation widens, people start dying. Since 2010, more than and I've got a lot of different stats on this. Between 25 and 40 doctors, medical students, policemen, civil servants with link to the scam died in mysterious circumstances. Oh, shit. So the state government though insists that this has nothing to do with the scam. These are all um all of these deaths can be explained. And some of them are plausible, and some of them are, aren't. Yeah. Um. So it's definitely a lot of mystery here, a lot of theories. So first, first to Jane Doe, until identified by her father, 19-year-old Namrata Damor was found on the night of January 7, 2012, beside the railroad tracks. So she had been studying medicine at the Mahatma Gandhi Medical College in Indore, one of the bigger— one of the bigger cities in the state, before going missing one January morning. So she was found dead, and the post-mortem report described, quote, dried blood present, end quote, in the nostrils. Um, The tongue found clenched between upper and lower jaw, two upper teeth missing, lips were bruised, there were scratches on her face, and the post-mortem report classified it as a homicide, most likely by violent asphyxia. So her father, a retired school teacher, a retired school teacher named Metab Singh Damor, demanded an investigation to find whoever killed his daughter. But the police were like, "No," they dismissed the findings, the initial postmortem, and they labeled her death a suicide. What? They're like, "Yeah, she jumped off a train." Later, the doctor who prepared the second most postmortem and like marked it as a suicide, um, he admitted. That he didn't examine the body and he was he just looked at pictures provided to him by the police. Wow. Yeah, so there were two reports, mm. and the the like official one was the second one. Mm-hmm. So, 38 year old another death. 38 year old television reporter Akshay Singh travels to interview Namrata's father, thinking that her death might be linked to this scandal. Mm. So he has this interview, and after the interview, he was reportedly waiting outside the Demore house when he started frothing at the mouth. Uh, he was taken to the hospital, where they tried to revive him, but he later died. <sighs> his death is still unsolved. What? Yeah. So it was his death that people were like, oh, shit, something is really happening here. Because he was the one who was like, you know, these things are looking fishy. Let yeah. me go interview. Oh,
0: God. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so by the time of his death in July of 2015, the task force had already arrested 2,235 people in relation to the scandal. 1,860 were released on bail after questioning. Another death, Anuj Uweki, a medical student accused of connecting students with Viapam officials, died along two other friends before being, before being interviewed himself. A truck plowed into their car. Um, many of the deaths are considered suicides. And some of them, I mean, some of them, they can definitely be considered suicides, and I'll talk about why in a little bit. Um, but some of them you're like, definitely not. So Dr. Ramendra Singh was found hanging from the ceiling fan in his home, January 2015. His, and then his mother actually died five days later. Uh, she took her own life by drinking acid. Uh, Narendra Tomar, a 29-year-old vet at a government hospital, was arrested for his role as a middleman. He had a sudden heart attack while in jail in June of 2015. He died in the hospital the next day. July 2014, Dr. S.K. Sakal, the dean of a medical college who had actually, he like looked into this, he investigated fraudulent admissions and he was like, you're expelled, you're expelled, you're expelled. Um, and he was found burned to death on the front lawn of his home. Oh, my God. And police classified his death as a suicide, ah. saying that he doused himself in kerosene and lit himself on fire. But that doesn't make sense for a doctor who already has access to tons of pills.
0: Right, right. And it's not like he was trying to like self-immolate to make some sort of political point. Which... Right you know, we definitely have seen before. Yeah, that's... Wow.
1: It's wild. So
0: clearly the police are in on this. Like, the the police are, like, if not doing these things, then at least... You know, they know who's doing these things. Right,
1: right. There are, someone's be, someone knows something. Someone's being protected. A year later, his case was actually reopened and looked into again after his colleague, Dr. Arun Sharma, who is, he actually was the one who took over his job after he died. Um, he was found dead in a hotel in Delhi after uh, he was found next to a half empty bottle of whiskey and antidepressant pills. March of 2015, uh, Shailesh Yadav dies of a suspected brain hemorrhage. And he's the son of governor of the governor of Madhya Pradesh. Him and his father were both implicated in the scam. I could keep going, but I, I won't. Right,
0: right. I mean, you said there were like up to 40 up of Up to 40, right. right? Wow. Oh,
1: Wikipedia has a pretty big list, too.
0: Yeah, thank so you, Wikipedia. So le-
1: let's talk about the, the list of people that were found on Mohindra's computer. So... A man named Prashant Pandey, he's a cybersecurity expert who worked with the police on the VIPAM investigation. His story, he's got, some, he's got a good story. So he states for sure that this list that was found on Wilhinder's computer um, was in fact tampered with. So he says that at one point the police needed a certain type of cable in order to, uh, like, connect Mohindra's hard drive. So he gives them the cable, and they're like, okay, well, we want to make sure this actually works. Can we try it on one of your computers? And he says, sure. And because he's a he works for cybersecurity, his computer automatically makes a mirror image of what was on Mohindra's hard drive. Mm-hmm. A few months later, his relationship with the investigation sours after he was arrested and put in jail for trying to sell confidential phone records. And also, what also happened was that um, the wife of Chuhan was found, like, she was uh, had, like, phone records where she was, like, in contact with um, Mohindra mm-hmm. and some other people who were, like, have already been arrested with the scam. So, like, it didn't look good for her or the, or the chief minister. Mm-hmm. So it was then... That, he decided to fight back. He was like, okay, I'm going to expose this. I'm yeah. going to expose these corrupt officials. Quote, I realized that I had a mirror image of Nitin Mohindra's hard drive, and on comparing the Excel sheet submitted by the police in court in the, and the Excel sheet from my copy of, of Mohindra's hard drive, I realized that the police had doctored the evidence to save the chief minister. And wow. wow. Um, so this information, he gives it to his lawyer. The lawyer leaks it to the public. As this investigation um, goes on, oh, crap, my computer. Okay. So as this investigation goes on, the state sends the file to a government forensic lab. So this is the state. They're like, all right, we're going to send this in. And um, that that forensic lab was like, yeah, this is real. Um, this is the real one. This file was not tampered with. Uh, Pandy's lawyers did the same thing. They sent it to a different forensic lab, mm-hmm. um, a private forensic lab, and they also certify that the file that he has is not tampered with. So again, we have this, he, he said, she said, we so, don't.
0: So let me understand that. So yes. uh, the the um, the place where they sent it to, the government sent it to, said that Pondy's. No.
1: Okay. The, the states allegedly doctored. Uh-huh doctor tampered evidence yeah, yeah. file, they send that to a lab. And the lab said that this is real. This has not been tampered okay. with. And then Pandy's lawyers...
0: They sent it to a lab as well.
1: ...took Pandy's oh, mirrored okay. image and they said file that one and been sent that about. one to a different lab. And they were like, this has not been doctored. Okay. So...
0: Right, right. So one yeah. of them obviously isn't telling the truth. Right. Right.
1: Um, And I, I mean, this is basically the entire... Scandal. He he said. She said. Yeah. Um, the government claims one thing, and then the people, the families, these private investigators say something else. So, the basic questions we have here are: Why are these people being killed? Specifically, Namrata Damore, uh, the girl who was found on the railroad tracks, her father insists that she was not a part of this scam. Hmm. But then again, like what parent would want to say that about their? their child sure furthermore one student named guarav Patni talks to a re- reporter claiming that or um like assume i don't know what the press laws are like in india i don't know if this is legal or not but he talks to re- a reporter uh, the reporter had the camera on but uh guarav potney assumed that it was off mm-hmm. so he claims that he did he used to be in the business of fixing exams um But it was getting harder and harder to get information and collect payments as this investigation, like, goes wide open. Quote, last year, we got only two students through. I'll even tell you the names. One is a girl from Indore, Namrata Damore. You can ask around. They haven't even paid yet. Wow. So, was she killed because she did not or could not Hmm. pay?
0: Yeah, that's a possibility.
1: Um, One police officer whose son was accused in the scam, uh, he... He says that uh, the Viapam task force falsely named suspects who were already dead in order to protect the real culprits. Hmm. Um, another theory, some people say that it's impossible to tell, if the, and I, this is what I think, I think it's impossible to tell if the deaths are really connected to the scandal because the families refuse to admit that their children paid money to cheat on exams. No one wants, hmm. it's taboo, no one wants to talk about right. it. Right. Um, and it's plausible that some of the deaths actually were suicides. So when you look at the students who were accused of cheating, who were implicated in this scam, their lives were totally ruined, whether they did it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, they lost their jobs. They were put into prison, and it's a huge personal expense. Like if you're innocent, it'll take years to clear your name. So it's this catch twenty um, two. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. Earlier, like if you're if you're poor, the only way to get a job is is to you know, get these rich politicians to, to help you to, to get in. But then you're caught and you're arrested. So the Central Bureau investigation takes over the case in July of 2015. And then since then, the mysterious deaths seem to disappear until about a week later, the driver of a train spotted a corpse on the tracks. Uh, the body was identified as Vijay Bahadur, and he is a retired Madhya Pradesh bureaucrat and he was um uh an observer of some of the the exams Mm. um his okay so his wife says um that he had stepped out of their train compartment for a sec and into the corridor to shut the door to their carriage and he never came back um the central, the CBI, Central Bureau of Investigation, has now added Bahadur to the list of suspected pam related fatalities and begun an investigation into his death. Hmm. Oh, and interesting. And that is the VIA-PAM scandal.
0: Yeah. Crazy.
1: Crazy. And my main source was a little bit of Wikipedia, and um. Uh, a Guardian article called "The Mystery of India's Deadly Exam Scam" by Aman Sethi. Okay. A gooden.
0: Yeah, that was a gooden. A gooden. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to talk about a guy named Clarence Edward Smith, also known as Clarence, Clarence Thirteen X. X, also known as Allah the Father. Oh wow. And Allah was a spiritual, cultural, and religious leader, uh, although he wouldn't consider himself a religious leader, in uh, the 1950s and 60s in New York City. Um, He eventually led a fairly small but pretty influential group uh, that came to be known as the Five Percenters, or the Five Percent Nation, um, or the Nation of Gods and Earths. Which you you thought kind of sounded kind of Uh, weird.
1: Well, it could be like a band name.
0: Right? No, that could definitely be a band name. Um, So Clarence 13X spent some of his formative years serving in the U.S. Army in the Korean War. And when he returned home to New York, he found out that his wife had joined a then fairly new religious movement called the Nation of Islam. Um, And I think we've all kind of heard of the Nation of Islam, right? Uh, Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad Mm. and so forth and so on. Um, So this group, the Nation of Islam, was uh, sort of an offshoot of the globalism Islamic faith. Didn't adhere to all the same tenets, but but definitely some of them, a lot of them. Um, And the Nation of Islam adherents, for example, believed that the founder of Nation of Islam, Wallace Fard Muhammad, was an incarnation of God in person that he that he essentially was God in, in on earth um a, a, a kind of you know, deistic being of some kind. um and he Wallace fard Muhammad is kind of kind of an interesting guy in and of himself. um apparently he came to America to like Detroit, I think, or something, and uh, he was like a businessman and he just started like preaching. This like offshoot of uh, Islam and and got all these, but we don't know like too much about him. Um, but anyway, or I, I don't hmm. know, I don't know too much about him anyway. Um, so Clarence Thirteen X um, really took to the Nation of Islam though. Once he joined it, he he was really like invested in it. Um, he became a, a leader, um, a student instructor. Um, so he was teaching other students, um, especially in karate. Which he had gotten really good oh, nice. at in the army, yeah. So he, he was really, um, you know, physically able, physically adept, but he he was also very mentally adept. Really good speaker, very, very, you know, personable, and um yeah, he he just really kinda hit it off. But he didn't jibe with the Nation of Islam in every respect. Um, Clarence 13X, he was a kind of a party guy a little bit.
1: Okay. Uh, okay. He was a little bit All of right. a party guy.
0: He loved to gamble.
1: Welcome to the 60s. Right.
0: Um, and he uh, didn't stop gambling or mm. doing some other things yeah. while he was a member of the Nation of Islam. So- Is that against Oh, very, very much. Very much against the rules. They, they adhere to those rules very strictly in terms of like the prohibitions on, you know, extramarital sex, dancing, um, you know, um, any number of things. Mm-hmm. You know, smoking, drinking, all the gambling, all that kind of stuff. All the fun stuff. They don't like the fun stuff. I don't know. <laughs> it works for them. Maybe. I'm not sure. So what Clarence 13X also didn't believe in which was really important was that he didn't believe that Wallace Fard Muhammad was, was divine.
1: Oh oh oh. And
0: he didn't believe this sort of be- well, okay, so uh, apparently in Nation of Islam there's like this whole thing that that Allah is like a black man, right? Or or yes. black or something, yes. you know, that that's like, like a, that's like a part of the religion. Wallace Fard Muhammad was like not really black, like Obviously, that's, like, not a real thing anyway, I mean, what? Uh, yeah. right? What does it mean to be black? But to Clarence, this was very, very important. Um, the fact that Wallace fard Muhammad was a light-skinned person meant oh. to him that he could not be God. Colorism. Um, he, uh, Clarence 13X was uh, very, very much a colorist. So th- this, you know, kind of rubbed Come him on, the y'all, wrong y'all, we got to stick together. Right, right, right. Um, and also all the other people as well. So, um, yeah, he uh, he kind of had some issues with, with Nation of Islam. And um, he was, though, initiated and did teach for a time at Mosque No. 7, which was the same mosque that was led by Malcolm X for a time. Oh, okay. At, at that particular time, actually. However, Clarence left Nation of Islam fairly quickly um, in 1963. So he... Um, like I said, he he kind of, you know, had some non-standard beliefs that didn't kind of match with Nation of Islam. Um, he also didn't want to adhere to the strict rules. So for whatever reason, we don't really know, but he broke with Nation of Islam. And like I said, he was a very, you know, naturally charismatic figure. Like this mm. was a guy who was who was going to. Uh, attract a group of people to him. When he entered a room, people yeah. noticed. When he talked, people listened. He right? He had
1: this great aura. Yeah,
0: he was just one of those people. Yeah. Um. So he quickly started gathering some adherents, mainly from the old, you know, NOI members to his new faith, uh, which didn't really have a name at the time. Um. So these new members, um, were complemented by a number of, uh, New York street youths. Uh, who would hang out on the streets, uh, and to whom he would preach. This, this was okay. the, the story of what became known as the Five Percenters. Um, they would go out in the streets and preach. And that was they, – they didn't have a church. They had the streets.
1: So that was originally the name that they came up with, the Five that's, that's
0: the name that they ended up with, okay. yes. Um, so Clarence 13X preached that all black men are Allah, that all black all black mm. men, only black, and definitely, only men. Women in this uh, uh, the- theology are are not divine. They are earths, um, oh, okay. complementary to but subservient to men, and and, and distinct from men.
1: Um, did he have a definition of what he thought black was? Not
0: or- really. It's a little bit fuzzy, and his his whole sort of like racist ideas. Um, they're not super well-defined, apparently, and they may have sort of changed over his mm. over his life, uh, over his short life. But um, he definitely, to him, being black was very important. Mm-hmm. Now, he had white followers. Mm-hmm. There were white members of the – there were white prominent members of the church. Um, so it's not like it was like only for black people, but it did teach that all black men are, are Allah and all black women are earths. Um, So, anyway, he sort of rejected this notion of a sort of, like, invisible, you know, superintending, omnipotent God of the kind that we find in, you know, Islam and and Christianity and and Judaism and many other religions. He didn't think that. Um, He didn't have that conception of God. God to him was not anything that ethereal, right? God to Clarence 13X was a physical being. In I fact, s- every black man was, was god. literally god can't on earth. I can see where
1: he's coming from.
0: Yeah, it's, it's 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 a it's a not an incoherent set of beliefs. You know, if, if you took black men to change that to all people, I think it's a pretty great belief. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's better than most mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> um so Clarence 13X, like I said, he he held, you know, pretty racist views. Um, Against white people for the most part. Um, Although he did eventually have a really good productive working relationship with a number of white government officials in New Mm. York City at the time. And a a large part of this new faith, the five percenters, was also numerology obscurantism oh, mysticism i love that shit um surrounding letters and numbers so oh, and i yeah. you know that we we see this in some forms of for example like uh, kabbalistic uh, um Ju- judaism like mystical judaism where you know the uh, you know how in in um uh, in hebrew numbers and letters are the same right
1: oh i actually didn't know that
0: or at least there there are are letters that stand for numbers at, at least i don't know too much about it but anyway um what Clarence 13X thought was that every letter and every number has a hidden meaning and that you can use those to kind of e- extract, like, this hidden knowledge, right, this gnosis. It's a re- This is a recurrent theme in mystical religions. Um, he didn't come up with this out of whole cloth, obviously. Um, it has elements of different m- mystical faiths, but um, it's pretty interesting. And And there's, like, a shit ton more to do with that, obviously, that I'm, like, not going to talk about because it's, like, gets into, like, a bunch of other shit.
1: That could definitely uh, – for a second I was like, all right, let's get into that. Like, uh, sidebar, sidebar. It's called –
0: I think it's something like Supreme Mathematics or something. I I forget. I'll take uh, that class. But, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, So um, the name, right, Five Percenters. So let's talk about where that comes from. So – um, there's a nation of Islam teaching that 85 um, percent of people are the mesmerized masses kept in subjugation by the evil ten percent right so 85 plus 10 that's 95 percent the remaining five percent are the people who you know sort of cassandra like right are telling everyone like this is what's really going on you're being duped you're 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 being held in sway by this evil 10 percent but they don't listen to them um and this is the five percent that Clarence Thirteen X claimed to be the leader of.
1: And I know we talked about this a little bit. You said it's not, it's not a cult. No, um, but, I would
0: not at all consider it to be a cult.
1: Okay, but this kind of like we're the ones who are who are we're woke and we know it's we really know what's happening that's definitely kind of like
0: sure i mean that's that's an aspect of cults but that's an aspect of a lot of groups
1: religion religion
0: being one of them of course but a lot of other groups as well for sure people claiming to have uh special knowledge and being part of a like really knowing what's going on group oh yeah that's that's sort of almost ubiquitous in our culture nowadays Um, every tweeter kind of has that notion, I think, almost. Oh my god, myself you, included, Mario.
1: You are have no idea how uh, <laughs> how on par that is.
0: All <laughs> right, it's too
1: accurate.
0: <laughs> so, according to Allah, the father,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Clarence, um, he mainly came to be uh, called Allah uh, from that from from sort of a certain point on. Um, He, like I said, did not consider the 5% nation to be a religion per se. He preferred to see it as a cultural movement, as a way of life. Um, In some ways, this reminds me of the way people talk about Buddhism to where, you know, you can be a Buddhist but also be a Christian or you can be a Buddhist and be an atheist.
1: It's more of a way of life. It doesn't have like a
0: a superintending theistic or a set of like rules you have to follow. It's, yeah, it's more of a way of life, a way of thinking, a, a sort of cultural phenomenon, if you will. So in this vein, Allah, uh, Clarence, um, didn't prohibit indulgences in any number of different vices, mm-hmm. right? Um, th- they didn't adhere to those strict codes of you know, conduct that you had to have as a, a member of Islam or nation of Islam. Um, so there was no dress code. There were no behavioral guidelines. Um, he actually focused really heavily on reformation of formerly incarcerated people. Um, which is a great movement, Mm, mm -hmm. and teaching young black people self-worth, self-reliance. Yes. um, Based on a theory of, like I said, black racial superiority.
1: That's super important.
0: Yeah. No, like I said, some of his ideas are, like, really great ideas. Like, if it weren't mixed with the racism, it's like, yes. Like, learning, uh, self-reliance, like uh, – You know, a a sense of self worth for the the for black people, like of course for every person, but yeah,
1: I feel like that's a common theme with so many. Groups and religious, like, oh, like, their core beliefs are super important and, like, definitely well-intentioned and something that needs to be put out in the world, but then there's something else.
0: Exactly. So one of these other kind of extraneous things about Clarence 13X that that we kind of need to get into is that in addition to his ministry, um, he was also involved in the communist movement in America, specifically the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, um, the FPCC. So mm. one of my main sources, really interesting uh, source, I, I, I'd suggest reading it, although it's kind of it's kind of dense. Um, <laughs> what one of my main sources was an academic analysis. Uh, this was the one where I was telling you it's taking me forever to read this thing. Yeah, um, was an academic analysis of the FBI files on Clarence Smith.
1: Oh, oh. Um, so,
0: yeah, the yeah. FBI. How did they see him? Right. Yeah.
1: That would be dense. Right, right, right.
0: <laughs> so um, the FBI, they saw Clarence not as a god, obviously, mm-hmm. not as a spiritual leader, not as an underground cultural icon, which mm-hmm. is probably what if he, he would have preferred to consider himself as. Mm-hmm. Um, they saw him as a leader of a loosely affiliated group of New York street gangs. Oh. Now – Obviously, that's not true, but it's also not completely off base because, like I said, part of his ministry, part of the whole idea of the 5% Nation was that you minister to people who are on the street, who are in prison, Mm. who probably have done some bad shit in their lives. And you know what? That's kind of the whole point of why you're talking to them. So... Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a misconception, but you can, you can see kind of from where that misconception was coming. So, you know, mm. obviously FBI, especially at this time, not a great organization <laughs> <in> the-
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, also a great organization for a lot of reasons as time goes on. But it's it's a mixed bag.
1: Also, a great episode. Oh, no, we talked about the CIA, what? not the FBI, right? Right,
0: right, right. I talked about the CIA.
1: I like to look back at that episode a lot. It's, it's just, <laughs> Two episodes. It's a good – it's just good. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah, um, the FBI, they sort of utilized the intelligence resources of what was then known as the New York City Police Department Bureau of Special Services. Um, this was essentially the undercover officers and informants. And these informants began to turn up talking about this new group, the Five Percenters, right? Who the fuck is this, right? The Five Percenters. They never heard of them. Um, So the NYCPD and FBI concluded that Clarence and the group were simply a loosely formed group of street thugs and uh, wrote them off for the most part. Um, There are indications, however – that they did see Clarence as a as, as a sort of threat, mm, right, especially yeah. Hoover himself, and that they may have orchestrated – the FBI may have orchestrated the arrest and subsequent committal to an insane asylum of Clarence 13X. But it's not totally clear. So let, let's kind of talk about it. So um, there um, was this kind of incident, right, where a number of uh, uh, NOI members um, – um, And Clarence 13X included were visiting mosque number seven, uh, Mm -hmm. which had been um, closed um, subsequent to Malcolm X's death. Um, so this is May 1965 we're talking about here so they're they're there the police see them there it's a closed building they tell them to leave Um, the NOI members uh, reportedly start vandalizing buildings blocking traffic Mm. making a big fuss Uh, this led to a number of arrests including of Clarence 13X the 5 Percenters were a very vocal presence at all of his proceedings um, including yelling peace over and over and over again which that that's one of their big. Actually, some people think they may have uh, introduced that as a cultural thing, saying peace to each other, like saying "hey, peace." Oh, oh,
1: that I love actually that. may have
0: come from the Five Percenters. It's not totally clear, but this was like one of their big things was yeah. saying peace because they were all about peace, and um, they did that at his arraignment and at that uh, proceeding at the arraignment. Clarence Thirteen X proclaimed that as he was Allah. Uh, The city does not have any jurisdiction over him and, in fact, would incur grave consequences if they were to prosecute him, which, of course, did not come to pass. But, you know,
1: I kind of want to be there. (laughs) I know. Right.
0: Um, Just to see. He was eventually sent to Bellevue Hospital for Mm -hmm. psychiatric examination. He kept up his ministry while in uh, psychiatric uh, uh, incarceration and even converted some of his fellow patients.
1: What were his charges? What did he... What?
0: I'm not sure exactly what the charges were, but I'm assuming, like the other members, he was probably charged with, you know, vandalism, uh, you know destruction of property, resisting arrest, things of that nature. So thing,
1: he was sent to a nature. psychiatric hospital, question mark? Because
0: he claimed to be God. Like, oh, they, that. They misconceived okay. that. They
1: played that.
0: Or they intentionally misconceived mm. it. It depending on what you think actually happened here, I and who was they... talking to who, and yeah. who orchestrated what, and how powerful and involved Mr. Hoover was. That's the real question. So, uh, some of the five percenters thought that the psychiatric evaluation was held up, and that he was simply, you know, held um, for a long time, you know, because of the FBI, essentially. And in November of 1965, he was eventually, though, committed to Madawan State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. He was diagnosed with schizophrenic reaction, paranoid type, with delusions of grandeur, and uh, committed indefinitely. Um, Mm. And he would have remained committed indefinitely, but fate did intervene in the shape of the Supreme Court of the United States, which ruled in 1966 that there had to be confinement limits placed on involuntary custody without trial. Uh, Therefore, many, many, many people, including Clarence 13X, were released. And in March of 1967, um, Clarence 13X resumed his street ministry and his work to prevent and stop violence on the streets of New York City. No mean feat in, you know, Uh mid-60s New York City. Uh, I mean, he he, – yeah, like I said before, he kind of professed these really racist views, right, against white people. But – As part of his ministry, he also worked with – closely with the mayor of New York City, John Lindsay, at the time who commemorated Clarence um, after his death and um, was also instrumental in securing a night school for the Five Percenters. He and other Five Percenters – Clarence 13X rather and and other Five Percenters even went with John Lindsay to the streets of Harlem the day that Martin Luther King died. Yeah. In April 19 of 1968 to prevent a possible riot and just to express condolences. Yeah. So that that's like the, the sort of clout that the five percenters had in the neighborhood and the connection and clout that they had with John Lindsay. So it's interesting that they were able to sort of bridge these divides within the city. Um, yeah. Uh, so Clarence 13X and the 5% Nation, whatever the FBI may have made of them, were – Actually, in reality, committed to nonviolence, committed to peace yeah. and learning and, and enlightenment, um, despite many of their checkered pasts and, and and even maybe while they were in the group. You yeah. know, it's, it's these weren't perfect people. Right. But again, that's the whole point. Right. Um, but the philosophy was was pretty pure other than the, the racism for the most part. So despite their peacenik ways, uh, Clarence 13X and the Five Percenters did have a pretty strong premonition that Clarence 13X would be assassinated.
1: I mean – Martin Luther King had been assassinated.
0: Uh, John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. Uh, uh, Malcolm X had been assassinated. Yeah. I don't think Bobby Kennedy had been killed yet. I'm not totally sure. But, yeah, it it seemed like he was going to – it, it was going to be him, too. So on June 12th, 1969, Clarence 13X left his night school after giving instruction and hanging out for a little bit at about 2 or 3 a.m. As was his want, he went and gambled for a couple hours, and then he was um, on his way to the apartment of his wife, Dora Smith. Uh, they they lived apart at the time. Um while he was standing in the lobby, he was ambushed by three unknown assailants and shot dead oh my on God. the scene.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Those three have never been identified. At all. Uh, there does not seem to have been much of a investigation that was done. At all.
1: Do we know why? Not or maybe totally it's... sure. I mean, there's a lot of, probably a lot of... Yeah, I think
0: it was sort of written off at the time as part of this, you know, sort of like street war kind of thing. It wasn't taken as seriously, I don't think, as it should have been. So many suspects emerged, though. So let's talk about some of these suspects. So the FBI, obviously. Right. So they did have extensive files on Clarence 13X and the 5%ers. And Hoover definitely would have preferred if 13X weren't, you know, Clarence 13X weren't around. Probably um, though this uh, – oh rather they probably thought, the FBI probably thought that his death would cause the destruction of the 5% nation. Not what ended up happening hmm. by the way. We'll, we'll talk about it that, uh, at the end. So um, there's the very little evidence connecting the FBI to this mm-hmm. crime. Um, even in the declassified files, there's not really much of anything. So Nation of Islam and or Louis Farrakhan. Um, who is a prominent um, you know, leader in the nation of Islam and a much maligned figure in, in many circles in America. Um, the, uh, this uh, theory was proposed by some in the media, including the Daily News, which painted it as part of a quote-unquote Muslim war mm. that was supposedly going on at the time. Um, Nation of Islam definitely didn't like what Clarence 13X was doing. Uh, they didn't appreciate him taking their followers and possible converts. Oh, um, OK. You know, they weren't a large number of people, the 5% Nation, but sort of definitionally, right? But um, they definitely had a cultural salience. And, and, you know, it's not like the NOI had an infinite number of people from whom to draw either, right? They're kind of pulling from the same pool of people. Right. So... Um, The NOI has been accused in other killings as well, um, including, of course, in the death of Malcolm X. That's a popular theory of of his assassination. So for his part, Louis Farrakhan, though, says that he has no – had no role in the death and even said that he and Clarence had a good working relationship. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have been – wouldn't even have made sense, he he claims. So the NYPD thought that it was connected to an extortion ring, that the Clarence 13X's assassination was connected to an extortion ring run by some members of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. So they essentially thought that this had something to do with the the communists. And uh, this is fairly implausible since the committee had disbanded a few years earlier and – I just didn't really hear about any evidence that pointed to that. I'm not really sure if they may have had something, but I, I, I don't know.
1: What's an extortion committee?
0: Extortion ring.
1: What's an extortion ring?
0: Sure. So an extortion ring, extortion is me asking you for something in a uh, – It's like
1: kind of like blackmail?
0: Exactly. Blackmail is a form of extortion. Or if I say like, hey, give me five bucks or I'm going to punch you in the arm. That's also extortion. It <laughs> can be as simple as that. It's whatever. You know, Give yeah. me your lunch money, right, kid? That's extortion. So anyway, um, only one arrest was ever made um, in August of 1969, but that suspect was quickly released. Mm. And, uh, yeah, others have proposed that maybe it could have been the CIA. Maybe it could have been a disgruntled 5% member. Who knows, right? It's very, very mysterious. So, yeah, like I said, it doesn't really seem like an investigation was properly done. And also Clarence 13X was pretty cryptic. Uh Not a lot necessarily is known about what issues he may have been having with people or he he just what he didn't he didn't keep a diary he wasn't he didn't have you know confidants per se that I yeah. heard about, so we don't know what the motive may necessarily have been maybe it was something that we wouldn't know about that has nothing to do with any of this stuff who knows we we don't i don't know do you know
1: no. Are you aware? No, no. I'm not sure. I mean, I didn't realize there were so many questions surrounding this.
0: So many questions. So, like I said, though, his movement, the 5% Nation, the Nation of Gods and Earths, does live on, actually. Yeah. Um, it's actually grown. It, ha- it has at least thousands of members today. Wow. Maybe tens of thousands. No one really knows because it's not well documented. But they are in many, many states. I think it's like upwards of 20 states and uh, several countries as well. Um, I can't remember exactly, but I think basically the English-speaking countries, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Canada, Australia, America, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, what's really interesting though, and, and and you can look more into this, the 5% Nation definitely had an outsized influence on black culture, especially in the 80s and 90s. A number of their um, ideologies and, and slogans and things have ended up in rap uh, – in, in, in rap – Songs mm. Is that a thing? Rap songs? It sounds right. It Rap hits, music? It hits the ear wrong. Rap music? Rap I don't know. Music? Makes me sound like a Rap weird song? old White rap person,
1: music.
0: The rap in the rap songs the- when when they're singing them rap song. Anyway, <laughs> a number of rappers, including members of Wu Tang Clan, Busta Rhymes, and Brand Nubian, ah, oh,
1: Busta Rhymes, um,
0: are if not actual Five Percenters, um, at least you know admirers of Clarence. 13X I can see and- Busta Rhymes being. Oh yeah, no, it's and apparently a lot of the Wu Tang Clan. So we are running out of time. So we better. We better wrap up.
1: We're gonna wrap it up. That's a
0: wrap, y'all. Wrap. Okay. Wrap, thank it you up. so much for listening, you guys. Thank you for
1: listening. Um, if you uh, you've been still putting
0: us stuff up on our Instagram, right? Yes. Instagram. Always
1: follow us on Instagram. My
0: Twitter is uh, Mario Thirty. Mario Text Thirty. If you want to tweet, is or it because
1: you're from Texas? That's true. Did also, you guys know?
0: Also, uh, Stephen Curry. So. Oh God. The two things I uh, am most uh, known for Texas and having that Stephen Curry.
1: Go Duke.
0: Fuck you. So, I was sad
1: when (laughs) they lost.
0: Go to our Patreon. um, And thanks for listening.